and really play what you love and play what Absolutely. is unique to you because that's what people want to do when they sit down at a game of commander is they want you know like what to talk about like the identity that self-expression like that comes out in your commander game so find what is you in commander and you know make you know try to find that criteria and have your forever decks be the decks you play you know over and over and bring you the most joy Hello and welcome back to Out of the Box MTG, where we think and play out of the box. Um, we got a small cast again today. It's just Logan and I. Logan, how's it going? Uh, it's good, man. Uh, you know, ready to talk about some some good commander, um, just different topics, you know, and just loving magic. It's great, man. I mean, Commander Commander Masters is getting spoiled right now, which is, you know, fun to look through all the reprints that are coming out. So that's been fun. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of product moving all the time, uh-huh. but it's fun. I, I don't mind it, you know, especially in a reprint set where it's you're not inundated with having to like learn and process and understand the cards. It's just nice, you know, to, to see new art. Yeah. You know, have those new things come through. It's fun. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, real quick, honest opinion. Yeah. You, you a fan of the profile arts or not a fan? I I am the I'm a fan actually. Really? Okay. I would I would like to see more of these. I I like I like the intimacy that you get with the commander. Uh-huh. Cuz so many so much of magic art is is action oriented and these ones are just it's it's you're close, you're personal. It's just more like almost intimate connection with the art, which I think is a really cool thing. Yeah. And I would really like to see more of them. Some of them are stunning. Some of them aren't my favorite. Yeah. But there are quite a few that I think are actually really stunning pieces of art. Cool. And I'm a big fan. Nice. Love it, dude. That's great. Yeah. It's yeah, it's we'll see how the set plays out. But, but we're not talking about Commander Masters wow. today. Um, we're we're going to be talking about uh, forever decks. Like what what qualifies or what makes a deck fall into the category of a forever deck? It's a term that gets tossed around sometimes online, but I don't think it's talked about very much. So we're going to delve into that. But before we do, we got a couple of things. First, I want to shout out the Substack page. Mm-hmm. We have weekly articles going up over there on the Substack page, all about Commander, about Magic Philosophy, um, we just recently had one go up about proxying, not proxying, excuse me, um, commissioning custom art from artists. And we had feedback from a, a handful of artists, well-known artists in the community. It was really great. So if you're looking for, if you've ever wanted to do that, if you've seen some cool art, um, cool altars out there and you're like, hey, I want to do something like that, go check it out. It's a really good deep dive with some really good advice from the artists themselves Um and Substack as a whole is just a great platform to engage with magic. It's yeah. growing. It's it's the community is not big there, but it combines the social elements of a traditional like social media platform with some of the more long form content where you can explore writing. And I think it's actually a really great space for magic because it needs both of those things. It needs the the chatter back and forth, but it also needs the space to be able to like explore thoughts and ideas. So go check it out. Substack out of the box. MTG 
is where you can find us and you can find our whole history of articles where, like I said, we're releasing articles every week and we're really proud of what's up there. So go check it out. Yeah. Um, and I actually just had, um, Q, that was your article about the the custom arts. And I just had one mm-hmm. up earlier this week um, about Planeswalkers in Commander, not as a Super Friends deck, but as should you play more Planeswalkers in your deck? So if you yeah. love Planeswalkers in 60 card formats, go check out the article. See if you want to add a few to your Commander decks. Yeah, it's a good read. I, I really enjoyed it. So now what we're going to do, so... You know, sometimes we'll talk, you know, as we intro our episode, sometimes we'll talk about if we played games recently, but tonight we want to try something a little different. So there is a game that uh, you and I have both been fans of for a little while now. Yeah, big fans. Uh, I love it. Yeah. So it was a game in, created by the guy, the the people over at Valley Folk on YouTube, um, but it's called the Movie Movie Game. And basically what you do is you read, they would come up with a description for a movie and then they'd come up with a description for a second movie, and the titles would go into each other. So, for example, it'd be a description about a kid on Christmas and then a cowboy, you know, with an Indian, uh, you know, companion. And it would be Home Alone Ranger, for example. Um, so we wanted to kind of try this out with some uh, magic cards. So, Q, you and I have each come up with descriptions of two cards whose names flow into each other. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, so listen, as you guys listen to the descriptions, see if you can kind of figure it out as well. I'm going to try to guess. We'll have a clue or two if we need it. Um, uh, kind of ready for each other. Uh, but Q, why don't you start us off? Why don't you read me your description of the card? And mm-hmm. I'm going to see if I can figure out the combo of the two cards together. Okay. And it's going to go in in order. So the first card's the first part yes. of the word. The second card's the second part of the word. So... Choose one. Gain control of all creatures with power four or greater until end of turn. Untap those creatures. They gain haste until end of turn. Or gain control of all creatures with power three or less until end of turn. Untap those creatures. They gain haste until end of turn. Each player can't cast more than one spell each turn. I think I've got it. <laughs> yeah. And the yeah. second one's a little bit of a lob. If you know me, yeah. it's I, I figured... We're going to ease into this. You know, if we play week to week, we might get a little bit harder, but I'm 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 easing into this one a little bit. Yeah. And to be honest, once once I was like, I was listening to the description of the first one, I was like, okay, I think I know what this card is. All I had to do is know the second word, and I already yeah. knew what cards you were going to do next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so hopefully this has been enough time for if you wanted to try to figure it out, you've had enough time, but I'm going to guess mob rule of law. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Mob rule of law. <laughs> That's a good one. Didn't even need the hints. Look at you. No, I don't need them. Um, Okay. I think think you can get this one as well. Uh, And this one, uh, I, I I had some fun with this one. So we'll see if you can get it. But I think you can get it. All right. Uh, And I will say there's a couple times where it references the name of the card. Sure. Yeah. It's a blank when it comes to that. Yeah, totally. When blank enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature for as long as blank remains on the battlefield. Whenever you draw a card, put a plus one plus one counter on blank and you gain one life. And then for an Azorius, target human gains flying until end of turn. Okay, so the second one is... um, uh, It's... 
read it, say it one more time. It's 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 Braylon and Shabraz is um so, so which one is it? it? So so if it's a human gains flying, it's it's Shabraz because Shabraz is the sky shark. So, so Shabraz <laughs> the sky shark is the second one. Is the second one. Do you want me to read the first one again for you? Yeah, please. Okay. And I will say, I should have said this as well. They both have flying. So flying is a key word on both of these. Okay. Um, when blank enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature for as long as blank remains on the battlefield. Shabraz. What? If... Something that ends in sha. Yes. Um. I, I will say it's when it enters, you gain control of something. Yes. I will say there's kind of like, cause sometimes like one letter might be missing at the very end of a word. This one, the very last letter is kind of cut off okay. to go into Shabraz. I'll give you that as well. Mm. So the yeah. mana cost, I'll give you your first boost. So the mana okay. cost, okay. Of, I'll, I'll give you the mana cost and then the power and toughness. Of okay, of this card. of this first card. Okay. Yes. So the mana cost is um I'm just gonna make sure I have it right on here. Um, yep. I don't want to tell you something that's wrong. Yep. Um so the mana cost is two blue blue, and it's a two two. Two blue blue? Yep. Two colorless blue blue for a two two. Oh my gosh. I did go blue, which is probably not your strongest color. Yeah, that's like that's it's, <laughs> I, it's in fact it's probably the color I know the least. And yeah. so um okay, read read me read it to me one more time. Okay. And if you can't get it, I'll give you your last clue, which is the creature type. Okay, okay. I think you will probably get it once you hear the creature type. If I'm being honest, I think you will. Okay. okay. So flying when blank enters the battlefield, gain control of target creature for as long as blank remains on the battlefield. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because it's we, we, I'm recording late because I'm in New York. So our time difference is it's it's a it's late. It's eleven thirty right now. Yeah. So maybe my brain has been fried from the day. But I I think I'm gonna need my second clue here. Okay, and I might have gone a little tough on this first one. You went a little easy on me. I might have gone. I had some fun with this one. So hey, that's fine. It's good. Down. It's it's good. Okay, so the last clue. So obviously, it's a creature. Yep. The creature type. I will say it, this is a rare. It's the creature type is fairy wizard and we first saw it in Lorwyn. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I would have guessed Lorwyn from Fairy Wizard. Uh-huh. Um is it is it a legend or it no? It's not a legend. Okay, okay. Um Oh my gosh, I feel like I can I can see it, <laughs> but I uh I might have to tap out on this one. I don't think I know it. Okay. So this would be Sower of Temptation Braz the Sky Shark. Okay, Sower of <laughs> Temptation. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that's on me. I should I I know enough. I know that yeah. card. Um that's good. That's a good one. Yeah. It was tricky. The, the I ending know. does I, flow I, in it. I took the end off at the end, but I thought it was close enough that it'd be okay. Um it is. No, that I think that's totally yeah. <laughs> that's totally legal, quote unquote, in the context of the game. Yeah. That was good. That's a good one. Yeah. So sower of temptation bras the sky shark. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hey, if you if listeners, if you guys have any, come up with some, you know, throw, you know, comment them, send us to to us, send them to us over on Twitter. 
Um, I've already got another one ready for next week. So we, we'll have some fun with this. But if you guys have any good ones, send them our way and we'll we'll throw them up on the pod and see if anyone else can guess them. Yeah, I'm gonna have to crank my dial up a little bit next week. <laughs> uh, give it, get, make it a little bit tougher. Um, but yeah, that's fun. I we we both really enjoy the original form of that game, and we thought it might be a fun little port over into Magic because there's there's so many cards and there's so many overlap that you know we could we could probably you know make a we could make our own full game version oh, of of sure. that with the number that's out there. So, um, but yeah, like we said tonight, we want to talk about forever decks we want to talk about the decks that we love so much that they will never leave the arsenal for as long as we play magic as long as we're playing commander these decks will be around so we're gonna we're gonna explore what makes a deck a forever deck and we're gonna do that in a couple of ways we're gonna be talking about what logan and i each classify as probably our number one favorite deck definitive forever decks yep and then we're going to talk about how they fit into each of the categories that we're going to explore and then also talking about examples of decks that we've built that have since been pulled out of rotation we don't play anymore or we've completely scrapped and why we did that within the context of that category so we're excited to talk through this the the decks that we're going to be talking about are forever decks for me it's daxis the returned um, that is the deck that I have been playing for a long time. I can get into some history later of, of when I started playing the deck. But for me, I'm going to use da- my Daxus the Return deck as my classified forever deck. And Logan, what's for you? What is what is yours? Yeah, my forever deck uh, will always be Gearhead Conclave Exile. Um, he's the Naya, makes a Rhino, and then when he attacks, he populates. Um but yeah, I mean, I had first gone, and I think we've told the story of Q, you and I being at a Walmart and seeing uh-huh. it on the shelf. And I said, you know what? I really like this guy. I'm just going to get it. And instantly has became my favorite commander I've ever played. And it will continue to be my favorite commander probably always. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So the we're going to use those as kind of our, our, our guiding star as, in a sense yeah. to why, to what, what makes up a forever deck and what does it take to get a deck there or what are we looking for now granted this is our experience with these things you know everyone's might be different but these are the three categories that logan and i both feel are what will make a forever deck so when we go to to build a new deck we look at these things and say hey is does this deck meet these criteria if so, it has a good chance of staying. So I'm willing to invest time and money and, and you know, game nights. So I'm willing to spend my time playing the game on these decks because I know I'm going to like them. So that's the framework that we're going into this with. And it, we said it, it might be different for other people, but we think these have a lot of general applicability to most players in helping you decide when brewing a deck or when tinkering with a deck, like, where to to put your attention and to help build up that forever deck. Yeah. Um, and like you said, yeah, there's going to be those different categories and that's obviously going to be, you know, like you said, it's going to be so different for everyone. And even for us, I think at times it can change a little bit, right? Like yeah. sometimes there will be decks where, Hey, honestly, it's, you know, sometimes it's like, Hey, it does one of these things so well that it might become a forever deck, even if it doesn't necessarily have all three, but usually we find 
that yeah. if it has all three of these, the odds of it sticking around longer are much, much higher. Um, totally. And and I think that that it has really like influenced, you know, and I think we both probably have decks that are maybe even relatively newer that will probably become forever decks, but, you know, it needs more time to to really feel it out and know if it's going to stick around for a really, really long time. Yeah, it may not have reached that classification, right. quote unquote, yet, but like it has the workings and it has the groundwork to say, hey, I really think this is a deck that I, I will never scrap, that will always right. stay around as long as I'm playing the game. Yeah. So the first category that we that we feel really plays into making a deck that lasts, you know, I, I think that's the other way we could talk about this is what makes a forever deck or what makes a deck last? What makes it have staying power? And the first the first piece we believe is is flexibility in the ability to like adapt and change and grow over time. So to kind of step back from that a little bit, it's almost the open-endedness of a commander that allows you to have multiple build paths or or change over time, something that allows you to get creative in that space. We really believe is is the first piece to make a deck for a forever deck, a, a long lasting deck. So let's talk Logan about your gear at deck and how you feel like it, it has filled this role of, of flexibility or open-endedness. Yeah. So for gear ed, so like I mentioned, gear ed started as a pre-con, right? So obviously I wanted to upgrade him when I was first playing him and everything. But originally when I had the deck built, it was probably for the most part, like, making copies like big creatures, like using like giant Adifidge, right? To like make another like 7-7 seven, seven or whatever when it dealt damage. And then maybe when that enters, it's dealing some damage with the Warstorm Surge. So it was kind of like these these really big and tall creatures. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as I upgraded a little bit, and I was always having a hard time figuring out, okay, like what kind of creatures do I put in the deck though? There's only so many things that make token copies or populate. And so then I started thinking and I decided, well, Giran makes a rhino when he enters. Let's just make as many rhinos as possible. And so he kind of turned into uh, what I likened it to. And I have always still wanted to do this as an altar for Gearhead. I'd love to make an altar for Gearhead that is Ash Ketchum. And all of his rhinos are all of the Tauros that he catches in the yeah. first season. Uh, in so good. <laughs> I've yeah. always thought of that idea. I think it'd be so good. Um but that was, that's kind of how I changed the deck. And it was all about just getting as many rhinos as possible and then really like beating down with them. So I was playing things like a Chroma's Will and Aurelia the War Leader to get multiple combats, you know, just and just letting these 4-4 four, four tramples just deal tons of damage. But honestly, after a little while of that, I was kind of like, well, hey, you know what? It was honestly, it was winning quite often. And it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying winning, but I felt a little bit of the same. So I decided to change it up. And now in its current build, it is a more clones style where I play effects of like Delina wild mage or Jaxus, the troublemaker or Cadric soul kindler, which makes copies for legends. And so now it's this kind of clones deck in Naya. And, mm-hmm. and the thing is like, and I, I love it right now, but honestly, when I first changed it to the rhinos, I loved it. And when it was first, the big creatures, I loved it. Like he, I've just been able to build him in so many different directions. And that has allowed me to always want to play him because no matter if, because the thing is, if I get a little bit tired or let's say it's like, okay, I want to switch it up a bit. I can take out 10 creatures in the deck, put 10 new ones in 
try to make copies of those creatures and it still feels fresh. And so yeah, what I love is that I can build him in so many different ways where he doesn't have to be the same, you know, especially when I've been playing him for over four or five years now, you know, we play on a pretty regular basis, maybe not every week, but probably two to three times a month at least. But pretty close to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I love that I've been able to build him in so many different ways and he still feels different every time. And so for me, that has really solidified him in the long run of wanting to keep him because he's fun every which way I built him. Yeah, so for you, the the take on flexibility is about the ability for the deck to adapt and, and evolve over time into something new where you can you can change it and you don't feel the need to change the commander. You don't feel right. the need to feel the need to kick out the core, like 85 cards, exactly. but those last 15 can swap in and out and you can kind of create these almost different packages of what the deck feels like and plays like. Yeah. Um, which I think is really cool because, you know, some commanders might be so narrow that if you change 15 cards, it's like, well, I should probably also change the commander as well because, because those 15 cards, like, are so like tied to that commander specifically. So right. that that's interesting. Cause I, I took it a little bit of a, a different way with Daxus. Yeah. Daxus is a deck. I didn't say what he does earlier. It's, it's one of the commander 2015 experience counter commanders that whenever you cast an enchantment spell, you get an experience counter. You can pay three mana to activate Daxus and make a spirit, an enchantment creature spirit token with power and toughness equal to the number of experience counters. So Daxus doesn't really care about anything except for enchantments. So for me, how I take flexibility is that means that whenever a set comes out, the floor for potential adds to Daxus is simply cards that either care about enchantments or are enchantments themselves. And those come out in Every single set. Yeah. Every single set has enchantments printed into it. They are such a staple part of the game that it allows me to, every single time a new set comes out, to be able to pour over it and and see potential options. Now, granted, Daxus doesn't change very often. It's, mm-hmm. it's getting pretty rare that I add a new card in there. But what it does allow me is, because he is so open-ended and just simply says, hey, all I care about is enchantments, is it it feels like whenever sets come through that there's always a potential something and it always feels like there's options to grow and change over time. And if I want to pull out an enchantment or two and, and throw two new ones in, the deck doesn't it it doesn't need deep synergy in what the pieces themselves are doing almost, outside of the fact that they have the type line of enchantment or have a line of text on them that does that interacts with enchantments in some way. So that flexibility for me is more about the ability to, to add in things and to grow over time. Mm-hmm. Cause I haven't really ever done a big overhaul of Daxis. I've done little things here and there and taken a few pieces in and out, but rarely is it, Hey, I'm going to grab 10 or 15 out and do 10 or 15 in kind of like what Garrett has done over time. Right. But it's always just been subtle changes over time as new cards have come out. Um, and that flex and, and that allows the deck to continue in the sense of, and you know, like you said with Garrett, 
it, it helps it feel fresh. It helps there always be something exciting because I'm there's something new that can slot into the deck regularly. Right. Yeah. So for you, where you were oftentimes looking for uh like in, like new enchantments that could possibly come in and out, I'm strictly looking for uh four mana legends in red that make token copies of things right (laughs) yeah and 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 honestly with a track record there's a four mana legend that copies in red like every set right now which is kind of like every set yeah logan is somehow yeah ortheon there he is he's come back every episode (laughs) logan's passing something to wizards because they they just keep feeding it um but but it's like yeah, I was just going to say, like, I, I think that's the thing about Gearhead and Daxis that is so, like, unique, is that they each do such, like, unique things, right? Like, now, like, enchantments, Enchantress isn't necessarily the most unique archetype, right? But doing it in Orzov and focusing on tokens is, mm-hmm. right? Like, those things are a little bit more unique. And, yeah. in, and like, in Naya, like, populate is not a very common keyword. And it's not something you see pop up in a lot of sets. So, well, oftentimes there's not lots of populate that gets put in decks. Like, I am looking for the, you know, hey, this makes a copy of something when it comes in. Or this can make yeah. things for an ability, right? Like, so I do feel like that helps the deck stay fresh as well. And totally. That's a long time. Because every now and then there are cards where it's like, hey, you know what? I've been playing this card for two years now i'm gonna try it out for this one and i think that yeah. that helps the deck stay alive as well because like every now and then like you do need a little bit of newness right like yep. uh i couldn't like you know sometimes i get bored in like 60 card formats because i build the deck and then it's just this competitive deck that wants to do the same thing you know just over and over just keep running the deck it, ha- it, it might go deck. undergo some minor tweaks right as the yeah. metagame changes you swap out two cards you know maybe you swap sideboard slots more than anything right um but here, like you know, like you have the freedom to to change. And so when we're looking at what a forever deck is, we want to make sure the commander is open-ended enough and flexible enough to allow us to do that. Right. And, exactly. and there's been some examples in decks that we've built in the past that haven't done this. Yep. One for me, um, I built a Yurlock of the Scorch Thrash deck, which he's the the mana burn commander. You you he pay one lava rivers. Yeah, he's he's his story is terrible, which we'll get to story and character. It's it's one of the most pathetic attempts at like making a backstory for a character ever. It feels like they they yeah, it feels like they gave like a 10 year old like, hey, here's the picture of this guy. What does he do? And they just described what's on the art. Yeah. But that's 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 fine. Um the so Yurlock introduces mana burn, basically, and he has a way to to give everybody mana and the deck tends to just feel very narrow because there's only so many things in magic that give your opponents mana to, to give them mana burn and so for your lock it was a really exciting deck when it when it started but nothing new was coming for it nothing really felt like it it gave space for creativity. Like the card is really cool. I really like it. And I, I, to this day, I still love it, but the deck, how it, it played just didn't feel like it had the space to be super creative and still give, I guess, and still give credit to the commander. Cause you could absolutely build a generic Jun deck that just 
you know, uses your lock as a mana door because that's kind of what he is. You could totally do that, but it, that doesn't feel like it's giving, like paying respect to what the commander wants to do. And so if you're trying to build towards his ability, it just felt very narrow and restrictive. And that's why it ended up getting scrapped because we only have so much time for games, right? There's only so many games, you, like, you know, decks you can run through in a game night, it's only so many game nights in a month or a year. And it's just one of those decks where I'm like, look, it's not, it doesn't excite me anymore. It doesn't have this creativity that I want. It wasn't and the therefore first it, one out of the box ready to play. Exactly, exactly. So it, it just eventually found itself kind of taken apart and pieces found in other places. So yeah. what about you, Logan? What flexibility, what commander didn't quite hit it for you on the flexibility front? Yeah, and this is one where I did kind of try to build it two different ways. And even still, like both ways I played it, there were certain cards I liked in the deck, but it just wasn't enough to make me want to keep playing it. And for me, that was Vrondis Rage, uh, Rage of Ancients, I think is his name. Let me just double check. But Vrondis, uh, yeah, Rage of Ancients. So mm-hmm. he basically cares about dice rolling, where he says that whenever you roll one or more dice, he can ping himself for one damage. And then he has Enrage. So whenever he's dealt damage, he makes a 5-4 Dragon Spirit, spirit Creature Token. And honestly, we had, uh, when I first built it, it was part of, we were doing like a pre-con league, which we talked a little bit about, but I was building him as a pre-con, then I upgraded him over time. And I thought it was kind of cool because it was, you know, part of the um, D&D set. And then we got some more dice rolling in Baldur's Gate. And so I added a bunch of like dice things into the deck. And then I tried building it as an enraged commander, just doing lots of little ping of damage. And each way I kind of built it, there's only, it's the same kind of thing that you ran into. There's only so many ways to give mana out to other people. There's only so many dice rolling cards. And especially Mm -hmm. that, because that is such a, like, really, really small, narrow, like, archetype. Like, it was, it's only been in that set in an infinity, I think. So it's like, we've only seen it, like, twice, basically. And so it became hard to find new ways to roll dice to ping himself but then you so there's like half the deck wanted pinger like half the deck wanted dice rolling half the deck was just like we'll just do the damage yourself and so it just to a certain extent just didn't feel like it had the legs to grow or do anything different i really wanted a gruel burn deck and so i was kind of wanting it to be that but i just i couldn't find a way it's whenever i would try to like turn it into that burn deck a little bit i just kept looking and i was like i just don't think rondis is the right commander anymore um yeah and so I think for me, that's the deck that it's that same kind of thing of there was only so many ways to build the deck um, and it just didn't feel like it want, like it was doing what I wanted the deck to do. Um, well, and the designs, the future design space is also pretty narrow, right? Yeah. Like, like, you know, maybe it was a mechanic that you're like, hey, I, I actually think this mechanic is going to come up more regularly and you're seeing it come through sets. But you're right. Like it really dice rolling was such a narrow thing and it exists in the environments that it existed in. It was flavorful and interesting there we're just not going to see a lot of that going forward. Mm. And so there was not a lot of like future opportunity either to be like, well, it may not be perfect right now, but like, we're going to continue getting things that are feeding this engine. And so like, if I just hold out, it it didn't feel like that was the case either. Right. And I will say kind of on top of this, I think in this category, this is probably why you and I in particular are not huge typo magic Mm -hmm. players. Yeah. To a certain extent, we like to be able to adjust the deck and switch it up a little bit. And sure, every now and then, you know, if you're if you have a 
a pirate deck or a goblin deck or something like sure there's new ones that come out occasionally and you can sub them in but the deck just kind of you know not only does it not build itself in different ways it also starts to feel the same which i think kind yeah. of gets into like our next point right yeah exactly that's what i was about to say is the, the deck kind of typo decks tend to be on rails a little bit at times yeah. where your options of what to put in the deck are relatively limited and the play patterns end up being very repetitive. And so this, this next category is re replayability replayability in a commander is really key because if this is a forever deck, you're going to have it for, for as long as you're playing magic. I I've had Daxis since the pre-con came out in you know 2015 i've yep. had that deck and i've been playing that deck consistently since about 2015 but i still enjoy playing the deck because the replayability for me is high the way that i have daxis built is it's a a soft control kind of tax shell um it, it doesn't verge into stacks where i'm like doing a lot of you know, mana denial or things like that. But it plays a lot of disruptive pieces that always mix together to create an interesting puzzle for me in when I should deploy those things to slow people down, when I should hold those back and let people kind of build up and maybe fight each other or whatever. Like it it always gives me the the variety game to game to make decisions that feel critical and it doesn't feel like it's on rails. It's not like, oh, I draw this card, I will play it first every single time. Like It has decision points in there, which makes it feel like it has a high... It gives me a high desire to keep replaying the deck. You know, it, it ultimately ends... The games end in a similar way. Right. I pump a bunch of mana into Daxus and I make a bunch of tokens, but the route to get there always feels different and varied and the gameplay environments feel different because other people are being constrained by my by my enchantments in different ways and so it forces the table to also feel different game to game and nothing ever feels quite the same and yeah. so it has this high high replayability factor for me and i also think that same goes for opponents as well because those pieces are yes. different game to game opponents are also presented with a different game and a different kind of puzzle each time they play against it. Right. And that's what I was going to actually mention was I think from being someone who's played against Daxis many times, I, I think something that helps replayability is that it can be good for the opponent. Right. I, and I wouldn't even say fun, right. Because people have different definitions of what fun super is. subjective. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, some people don't like getting stacks out, right. Some people don't want to see Ristic studies and or, or cyclonic grips over and over again, right? Like, so everyone's right. definition of what they enjoy is different. But what I like about Daxis, even to play against him, is it does feel like a challenge many times. And I think that that helps, you know? So the puzzle that you put together is the same puzzle that I end up having to figure out how to get around, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so not that you want to spend the whole game removing things the entire time, because that's not necessarily fun either, but... I do think that replayability, like, and, and making it different every, like, making it feel different every game yeah. also is enjoyable for the opponent. Because if I know that, okay, this player is going to tutor for this on turn four almost every turn and turn five do this thing and they're going to win by turn six unless I stop it, like, 
that gets really boring, right? Mm -hmm. And so if the deck doesn't always do the same thing, it's more fun to play against. And I think making sure that you're like, your play group, like everyone else at the table, making sure that they enjoy playing against your commander is also. Totally. Um, I, I think that's a fact that we don't really mention as yeah. we go through this, like the table, the table stakes do matter, especially yeah. if you have a regular pod, right? If you're playing at an LGS and it's isolated, that's maybe not as relevant of a piece, but especially sure. if you play in a regular pod, like you can talk to them and, you know, make changes. I've made changes to Daxis based on feedback from the table of like, Hey, you know, I, I, I want a certain experience and I like the, I like that tax effect, but sometimes I'll put in a car that's just a little bit too much or too oppressive or like doesn't create a fun environment for the table or for myself or whatever. And so I've, I've moved those out of the deck and replaced them with different things. Yep. And so tables, you know, table stakes, table talk does matter as well. Yeah. Like I remember you, you used to play Oubliette in the deck yep. and to be honest, Oubliette at least for brutal. me was pretty brutal because I usually build my decks to play around my commander. So if yeah. my commander gets phased out underneath that enchantment until I find enchant removal, like I'm yeah. out of the game. Like I can't do any, if gear is not on the board to help populate every turn, like my deck doesn't do anything. And so like giving you that feedback and you being open to that was like, cool. Like, Hey, I still like the challenge of Daxis, but if it's not just like, Brack back breaking, like, and I swapped it. it out for a different removal spell that Absolutely. was less punishing or whatever. It, it has yeah. a similar feel, right? Yeah. It was just like, oh, this card's really good, so I'm gonna put it in. But yeah. then, it, you know, you see the experience of the table, and yes. yeah, and it, and so this this replayability goes a long way. You had mentioned Logan as well, like the idea of of tutoring up on a certain turn and playing yeah. something the next turn. Like that's also why we don't tend to play a lot of tutors in our yeah. deck. Why, why we choose to not play Soul Ring is because we we try to create decisions and it's like, it's never absolutely correct to always play this thing when you get it. Because Soul right. Ring's one of those cards, like the moment you draw it, yeah. every single situation, it's probably, it's correct just to play that card. Yep. And tutors, you have one or two cards in your deck that's like, it's just objectively right to go and get these things. We find that taking those decision points out allows games to also feel more replayable because you're seeing you're seeing different cards every time and you're not just slamming down a true conviction and then running everybody over every single game because you have right. four or five ways to tutor that up. Right. So for Geared, for example, uh, yeah. Yeah. what I, what I really like about Geared, the reason why I find that he's playable. So in his current shell, like I had mentioned, he plays a lot of these like clone effects, uh, Delina, Jaxus, Ortheon, Kadric, all these different ways to make token copies of things. My game changes night to night depending on the creatures I see. Because if one game, if I see, you know, let's say early on, you know, I have a Skyclave Apparition and an Angel of Sanctions in my deck, that game mm -hmm. is going to feel like pretty heavy on removal, right? Because it's, hey, I'm going to do the removal and then I'm going to make copies of them and copies of them and copies yeah. of them. And so sometimes it can feel like, oh, geez, like he's just got every answer, right? So kind of not stacksy, but just like, hey, I'm going to take care of the board and just kind of do as much of that as I can. Yeah. And then other games, I'm going to find cards like Caves of Chaos Adventurer, and I'm going to venture through the dungeon really fast. Or other games, it'll be, you know, I get a, uh, a Harmonic Prodigy and a Rionia Fire Dancer. And so now I'm like, 
making multiple gear ed triggers and making multiple gear ads off of Rionia and they're each triggering multiple times. And some games, it might be where it's like, oh, in one turn, I made four gear ads, which made me four yeah. rounds, right? Which like, has happened. And it's yeah. cool to see that happen. And then yeah. I think that's what's what's interesting about this is like, because it's a, it's a clone heavy deck, you might get the same cloners, quote unquote, yes. the same things that, like, that generate the clones, but you really only need one different creature each game for like you're saying the games to feel incredibly different and and as you're explaining this it's actually kind of like setting a little bit of a light bulb off because like this is this has been my experience with gear is the games all run away in very different ways and so mm -hmm. it keeps it keeps things interesting i love playing against gear it's it is one of those decks where i'm i'm happy to see it come out at the table because it always is doing something fun or crazy but it's doing something different every single time it's not just Okay, Logan's gonna make fifteen rhinos, and that's like because that's how it how it's how it was when, yes. it, when it was in its rhinos phase. It was really full steam ahead, make a bunch of rhinos, yeah. and we had to anticipate and like lean into the games in a different way than it is now. And I find like the current build is very entertaining because every game plays out in a different way, yeah. and the creatures you copy do crazy things when compounded together. They all do crazy things when compounded like four or five times with itself. Right. right? So the five copies of the same card, but it really only takes one card to copy for the deck to feel entirely different. Exactly. It's like one game I could copy, you know, battle angels of tier four times. And then another game, it's, yeah. you know, um, I'm making six, you know, or three or four arcane uh, archon of valor's reach. And I'm locking out the table from being able to cast certain spells, like so cast it, any spells at that right, point, exactly. yeah, which is cool. Like it's it's yeah. a fun little dynamic where it's like, yeah, it. In that case, it's like you might as well have just like played an overrun and killed everybody. But instead, it's like, look, you guys aren't gonna be able to cast spells the rest of the game. I'm just gonna keep beating you guys down, and it's like the same kind of effect. And it's cool. It's yeah. it's fun to see those things happen. Yeah, because like and like I said, like if you play decks this way, like that's totally okay. That's just not like our personal preference. But like, I, I didn't, after a little while, I had cast a Chroma's Will to win every game I was playing with Gear Ed. Like every time- or the I games played, that it won was on the back of that card almost exactly. solely. Yes. So I was always winning with a Chroma's Will. Uh, and mm -hmm. so it was just like, okay, I have Gear Ed and three Rhinos. I'm going to cast a Chroma's Will and I'm going to win the game. Like it literally happened just week after week after week. And- yeah. Not that that's not like, and that's fine. But for me, that just didn't be like, it just didn't stay the play style that I enjoy. I like freshness. I like newness. I like uniqueness. And so I really value that. And so it didn't feel replayable. To, yeah, absolutely. Um, And so being able to have these uh, like, you know, the, the cloners that can do the things and then copy all the different things is really fun. Um, yeah. By the way, uh, cloners, the great Dex reference from Star Wars Attack of the Clones. When you said that, uh, that that's all I got in my mind. I was like, ah, Quentin's like, Dex here with four arms, talking about them cloners and their pocketbooks. <laughs> <laughs> so when we're talking about replayability, if we look at Dex that didn't work, yeah, Lowen, you had mentioned this earlier, but, but typal Dex is one that we don't tend to play very often. And you'll actually find that most of the decks that didn't work, at least for me, um, tend to be typal decks. And one that I had built was Kadena Slinking Sorcerer, which is the, you know, kind of the de facto morph commander. 
And the reason like it's it the deck's replayability was very, very low to me. Because yeah. every deck every game felt identical. You try to get Kadena out as fast as you can and then just start dumping morphs onto the battlefield. And because and yeah, and and because you draw so many cards, because whenever that morph hits, you draw a card, you end up drawing into your best cards almost every single game. And so, sure, there wasn't really tutors in the deck to go find things, but drawing 15 cards and tutoring a card kind of gets to the same the same destination in a sense. And so Kadena just felt the same every single game. And I found myself like not flipping over the morphs very often because it was just strictly better to just play more free creatures, draw more cards and pump up what I had and kill people that way. Mm -hmm. And so Kadena just, it just did not have the staying power. In fact, it's one of the decks that one of the fastest decks that I've ever built and then deconstructed is it it lasted like four games because by the end of game four, I was like, this does the same thing every time and it's i don't enjoy it and yeah. it's you know it's it's just too on rails for me yeah so for cool me hard but yeah, yeah yeah just not what i wanted yeah for me mine was joda archmage eternal the five color joda you know, that you can pay wooberg to mm-hmm. spell mm-hmm. and for me this played a lot into my opponent's uh like experience with the game and and it ended up affecting yeah so the deck was just designed to, you know, play a bunch of big mana spells for five mana, right? Like some of my favorites, Zakama, Primal Clam, you know, Primal Hunger, and uh, you know, Amanatu's Augury, and it played uh Jace's Temporal Sundering, the extra turn. Karn's Temporal Sundering. Karn's Temporal Sundering, thank you, sorry. Um, and so it played these cards that I to be honest, like I I had fun casting, but it found I, I think that the rest of the table found that I was oftentimes casting like the same kind of four or five cards, even though I wasn't tutoring them. I was just, I was finding ways to get to them. Mm-hmm. And so it became a game of Logan has to die first, because if he gets to Zakama and Karns and Aminatu Zagri, this game's over. We can't, you can't win through that, right? Yeah. Like, you know, you cast an Aminatu's Augering, uh for five mana and all the spells in your deck are yeah. like, six to eight mana like that that single card for five mana you know ends up casting 15 mana worth of spells and you it's so hard to win through that because joda can do it relatively quickly yeah and yeah because it would be an ominous augury into you know okay so i'm going to cast a uh a terracidon and blow up the you know three really problematic things i'm going to cast a brilliant ultimatum and cast even more things for free I'm going to cast Karn's Temporal Sundering. I'm going to cast, you know, like a Sandworm yeah. Convergent so things can't attack me. Like it was doing fun things that I enjoyed, but it what it didn't become enjoyable for other people. And so because of that, it led to them just saying, we have to kill Logan first. And that became really old for me game after game. Um, yeah. Even though it was one of my, like my first decks. And to be honest, I still love Joda Archmage Eternal. I'd love to rebuild him in a way that feels different and fun. But I have never really gone back to him, and I've never really attempted it because I am I I don't like that. Just I have to be the first one killed every time I play that deck. That doesn't that's not super enjoyable for me. I like I like my decks to be kind of at least at around the same level as the rest of the table. And so if Joda is just clearly the best one and the scariest one, I felt my games were the same because it was like okay, it's turn five, 
you know, or turn six, I've cast Jota once, he died, I cast him again, he died again, and I'm at 15 life now. Because if they don't kill me, they'll lose. And for me, that got really old really fast. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why you'll see as we talk about decks that we have our forever decks or new decks that we build, we very much tend to gravitate towards commanders that are not the most scary or the most threatening because that kind of heat game after game can get really exhausting where it's like, you know, your commander dies almost instantly when it comes out or the second it comes out, everyone turns all their attention. You spend the whole game playing arch enemy. If that's what you like, like, you know, power to you. But we've just found that that, that puts strain and pressure on a deck to make you want to say, do I really want to grab this? Am I really in a, like a headspace where I want to just combat everything? Cause you know, one of the things about magic is salt is real. Yeah. It, it's, it's, you know, like having your stuff die over and over, it's absolutely part of the game and you can't fault people for doing that, but you also can't fault someone for being, for getting a little bit salty sometimes when like yeah. they're dying the first, every single time when they play this or their commander just keeps dying. Like it can get frustrating because it's something that you want to do but people are stopping you from doing it. And so we've yeah. found that to kind of circumvent that issue, it's, Hey, let's stray, like let's, let's shy away from these super powerful commanders and maybe find options that are a little bit less, um, you know, a little bit less attention grabbing. Yeah. And you can see a great example that, you know, if you check out the previous episode, episode five, we talk about yeah. replacements for the most popular, most powerful commanders. And you know, if you are having this experience of, hey, my play group keeps targeting me first, or, um, you know, I go to the LGS and I'm always the first one to die. Maybe the question is, maybe it's just my commander is a little bit too scary. And, you know, if you if you bring that to a different level, the deck might actually be the same power level at the end of the day, but you can pull some heat off yourself by playing in a you know a different commander, a little bit of a different way. Uh, it'll I I really guarantee it'll increase the replayability because you'll feel more you'll feel more joy at the end of the game because you've actually got to play the game that you wanted to and didn't just have to face the the wrath and removal of the table kind of yeah. at every turn yeah no i i love that because I, I i do think that oftentimes just sometimes like just changing out a commander could turn a deck from something that you didn't really love into a forever deck. Like sometimes that all yeah. takes, it could take just small little steps to like make something that like, if you really love it, like, but there's something up with it, like find ways to try to like tweak it a little bit. And that might help you find a deck that becomes, I love this with like, everything. And it, I just, I'm going to play this deck forever. Like I just love this so much. And it might just be little tweaks here or there that can get you there. Um, so don't ever totally. feel, you know, like I, I think you like you've had experience. I know with you used to have uh, an Abzan like plus one plus one counters deck that you had a couple different commanders for, didn't you? Like you had a Tyam deck that kind of changed a little bit, and mm-hmm. you you know, and, and it's kind of since gone away. But it, you you know, you tried different commanders to try to make it do what you wanted it to do. Yeah, it was it was a lands deck, yes. and it started off as Lord Windgrace, and then oh, turned right. into Tyam theme. Not yeah, was, and it was, but like yeah. Lord Windgrace drew so much attention and just like died so often and just felt so strong all the time that I was like, hey, I'm gonna switch this over to Tyam, and Tyam was fun. It it actually didn't it didn't stay 
more because the the gameplay patterns were just like so counter intensive and like the board tracking got really old. It was it was a really cool deck, but it was just one of those things where like managing all the different counters and, you know, ability counters, plus one, plus one counters that the deck generated just got a little bit taxing to manage the board. So it ended up going away. But that was an example of taking a powerful commander to a less powerful one and actually pulled a lot of the heat off of the deck and allowed it to be a lot more fun. Yeah. Um, so for this, uh, you know, so we've kind of talked about the flexibility of the deck. We've talked about the replayability of it. The last category that we want to hit uh, today is talking about the art and even kind of like the lore of a character. Um, Absolutely. And why that might keep you interested in something, right? Because sometimes there's there's cards that you just instantly fall in love with the art or maybe you have followed the character for a really long time through different iterations. And so that might be a reason that at least we have found is a reason to keep a commander on for a really long time. Uh, so Q, I know that you are very, very passionate about Daxis. So why, like, tell us a little bit about how Daxis has filled that role for you, maybe even in, in different ways and everything. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is something that I don't know if all Magic players experience this, but this is a big part of when we are building decks. Some things that we consider. Um, if you talk to anybody in kind of in our in the out of the box team that we have, you know, Jake and Simon include included, mm-hmm. we really care about these things because there's just something about connecting with a character or with a piece of art that makes it feel personal. I think one of the things about Commander, why it is become such a dominant format is it becomes a form of self-expression at a certain point. Yeah. You know, that's that level of self-expression doesn't exist as much in 60 card competitive formats because you're playing to what is the best and you're playing for an edge. And even if you love playing a certain archetype, if it's not viable in that meta, oftentimes you don't play it. But Commander gives this sense of, of identity. And so as we kind of attach ourselves to the story and art and flavor of a character, it just adds this greater sense of identity to your deck. And that's how it is for Daxis for me. So I got the my one of my, my other brother, um, he not Logan, but our other brother, he bought me this the Daxis precon back when it first came out because he knew that I I loved enchantment decks and he saw it one day. It's like, hey, I you know, I got this for you. I think you should try it out. And so there was this like this like early connection with it. It was a gift from someone that kind of got me to first look at it. But then I dove deep into the story of Daxis and Daxis has a really it's a really highs and low kind of story which i really like you know he we first met daxis in the original theros block he and elspeth fell in love they were starting to live this life together but then elspeth what had some nightmares provoked by xenagos i believe is who was provoking this and she was having these nightmares about the phyrexians and in the middle of the night she killed daxis thinking that he was one of these phyrexians in her dreams and then Daxus was sent down to the underworld where we meet Daxus the returned as as a character that the the deck that I play but Daxus then makes a deal with Erebos to be let out of of the underworld forgetting you know as you come out as what they call the returns you forget all your memories but Erebos made him a deal that basically he could remember very very select things and Elspeth was one of them so he he was like left to wander in the world looking for Elspeth and 
I could go on and on about the story and the depth of this character, but it's just, he is this story and this character of, you know, loss, despair, love, perseverance, hope. Like he embodies a lot of these really, you know, commendable attributes going after something that he cares about. And so the character has just, I, I, I've just attached myself to this character and, and it means a lot to me because it came from a, I, I first got the card from someone that I care about and then seeing the story build, it just, it makes the deck more rich and real that there's, there's some, there's some tangibility behind that character. And there's a reason why his car does what he does and where he is. Like it's, there's just something really heartfelt and, and powerful to attach yourself to a story of a character and get to see that play out game to game. Right. Um, I, 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 and I love that. Um, and I think also for you, I mean, and I know that you really love the art. I mean, to the point where you've had an altar done of it, um, mm-hmm. mod flight. I got a, a mod fly altar done of Daxus staying very true to the original art, mm-hmm. but it mod the, the one I do, I'll have to, I'll post it on Twitter if you guys want to see it, but it's, it's this, the kind of the same facade of Daxus, but there's this little starry, uh, constellation Elspeth up in the sky yeah. as Daxus is kind of looking up there and it's just th- this nod to th- this relationship between these two characters which is still unfinished we don't know what's going to happen yeah. because Elspeth has become an angel but in some of the stories we we met Daxus as kind of a visitor of hers she had dreams about him so there's still kind of this unfinished story as well that's out there that I'm I'm waiting for a conclusion on so yeah it was a, an art that I loved enough to to even go out and commission some additional art of him uh, to make it even more personal. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, when I, when I first started playing magic, uh, what, what I guess I should say when I first really got into magic, uh, kind of like 2017, 2018, mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't until, you know, I had played a few different things, but I found that I really enjoyed Selesnia and gruel. I kind of definitely started out very like green focused, but wasn't big on blue or black. Um, and eventually, you know, through went through a couple decks, but then eventually found Gearhead. Um, and I really did like Gruel and Celestia. And so Naya obviously felt really fun to me. Um, and I love Gear doesn't have a ton of lore or anything like that. What I do like is so he's the Conclave exile. So he was part of the Celestia Conclave and he was exiled, left them, and he joined the Gruel clans when he saw like the manifestation of Ilharg, the boar, the boar god. Um, and as a fellow witness of the manifestation of Ilharg, the boar god, and in true awe of his red uh, sneak attacking... Uh, his true majesty, just really. beautiful majesty of a sneak attack on a boar god, which is just incredible. I really, really loved, just came to grow and love Gired. And on his art, you have the awesome rhinos with the, like, the bright, like, the kind of bright white green vines around them and you have his his hammer axe that he holds um so i i definitely grew to really really like gear even from that standpoint i i you know even though he doesn't have as much like lore and everything as daxis does i really liked his art and you know he did have the the slesnia gruel kind of background um which really spoke to me because those were my two favorite colors to definitely play and so getting to like put that all into one with some great art made him like made made me want to keep playing him over and like that definitely added to the effect of me wanting to continue to play him as for sure 
Yeah, that self-identity with something. Absolutely. Yeah. And and obviously this one maybe carries less weight than the other ones. It's sure. something that you might be able to get past, but it, it does it does have relevance. But we I've I've had decks in the past, one that I actually recently built that was really foundational to this one. The reason why I built it was I was I was looking for another deck and the secret the uh, the 30th anniversary countdown art had just been revealed and the and Ojutai or Dragon Lord Ojutai yeah. had some incredible incredible Beautiful. new art from uh the artist is Yuko uh Shimi- Shimizu I I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that perfectly but this new art from from Yuko and it, it's stunning stunning art I I love it I'm I'm looking at the art right now as we're talking about this and it truly is just gorgeous gorgeous art and it was like all right this is the deck that I want to build and so I I dove like I remember like we when it came out like we were playing a game and we saw I saw the art like while we were playing a game and I just dove like head first into building this deck and just went off and I built this Azorius Dragons deck and it, it the art is just again it's so incredible but that wasn't enough to keep the deck ar- around it's Azorius it's an Azorius Dragons deck and there's only so many dragons in blue and white that you can play and then it felt like all the surrounding pieces were just you know some counter spells or some protection spells and it just felt very generic so despite the really impactful art the play style wasn't enough to keep me there so it's you know it's not i don't think art and lore are enough to carry a deck to keep it in rotation if for sure the gameplay and the replayability and you know variability in the build um aren't there as well right and I'd say kind of on like the, I guess, kind of opposite side, if a card doesn't have good art, it like, for at least for me, and I, I'd say for you as well, like totally. it, won't, it won't become a forever deck. Um, I'll get to my example in a second, but like, I know that you've recently built a Caravac deck that you have become, that you really love. And I think oh, that so good. will probably become a forever deck for you, but it only became that way when it got its new art. Like, yeah, it was the previous art you ha- like didn't even have a thought to build the deck. Like it never really even it didn't strike that chord that I yeah. wanted. Not that the art was bad necessarily. Right. Like it's, I, I don't, you know, art is an incredibly subjective. Oh, for sure. Um, a, a territory. And so the previous art of Caravac wasn't something that I loved, but they had new art in the, the intro commander decks last year. And the moment I saw it, I was like that, that is what I want that's the Caravec that I've been looking for. Cause the card had always interested in me, but the art was just not enough to be like, yes, that's what I want in my command zone. But once that new art came, it was like done game over. I built it and it's, it's an awesome, awesome deck. Yeah. So for me, the deck that I, to be honest, really kind of, an, I, I enjoyed the play style of a lot, but I just couldn't get behind the art. It was on hello, the painter. Um, and you know, he was the, from the pre-cons of new Capenna. And I just, there was something about the art that just like, it just didn't stand out to me. And so like, and, and, and it's, it seems weird, but every time I'd go to cast him, I was kind of like, okay, here's on hello. Oh man, I wish his art was cooler. <laughs> like, and you I didn't care about him as a card. So like casting yeah. him didn't have that, that oomph behind it. Yeah. There, it just, it like, you know, especially when I build my deck so heavily around the commander, like I really have to love the art of the commander. And so mm-hmm. every time I'd cast on hello, it was kind of like, cool, here's on hello. Let me start setting up the other things. Whereas now 
I have started to turn on Hello into a Zevlor uh, Alterial Exile deck. Um, and I have really, and I like Zevlor's art so much better. And already I have really, even though the deck is pretty similar, it's doing the same thing. It wants to copy big spells in Grixis. It's doing the same thing, but I enjoy it so much more as Zevlor. And, yeah. and like, and it seems dumb, but like a huge part of that is because of the art. Like, and I would even say like Zevlor is like my top five art of all time or anything. It's just, it's, it's better and I like it. And so now I enjoy the play style more. Um, yeah. And so it's a weird little like yeah. psychological effect, but if you enjoy the art more, you're more inclined to, to, to play it and cast it and want to see it out and, and play more games with that card because you like the card. Right. Um, I'm also realizing that this is my, uh, that Zevlor is actually my second commander that has exile in the name. I'm just now realizing Gearhead Conclave Exile, Zevlor Elturial Exile. Maybe I need to just start building some exile. Uh, oh, Narset Enlightened Exile, new Narset from Aftermath. Maybe that's mm. a good commander. Sorry, that was not, not on our list of things <laughs> of like go. Uh, coincident words right. but maybe there's maybe there's some <laughs> legs there i mean i'm just now realizing they both have exile the names so maybe there's something there i don't know oh uh, yeah it's it, it's one of those things again art and lore it's subjective it changes for everybody but it doesn't matter you want to be excited to cast your commander and so and and if you like the character you like the art just makes you more incentivized to do that and so these are the three categories that we really believe feed into what makes a deck a, a forever deck? Being flexible in what you can do in the build. Feeling like the deck can play different game to game and it has a lot of replayability and you enjoy the art and the lore really for us are the three pillars of what makes a deck stay and last. And there's other factors that play yeah. into this. Um, we talked one of the about things, a few of them. Yeah, some of the things that we, we do enjoy is we, we kind of reference this, but less popular commanders yep. we we tend to enjoy those because it has a sense of of personal attachment when it feels like that is your deck like you are known for that deck yeah. there's there's some attachment there and, and so playing less common commanders allows you to have more of that identity with the deck um you know playing into that uniqueness another thing that we love is for whatever reason we love pre-con commanders yep. we we build them a lot i have um, I have the red, white Nayeli, uh, pre-con sitting on my desk right now that I just, I managed to get a good deal on nice. and I'm like looking at it and being like, oh, it's a really cool, like there's just something about pre-con commanders that pull us in for whatever reason. Yep. And so like we have some bias there as well, but everyone has their factors. And so, you know, we'd encourage you to, to think about maybe what, what feeds into your forever deck. Like what are the categories that you feel like you set up to say, Hey, this is this is a deck I've been playing for years and years. Why why has it stayed? Ask yourself that question, because as you explore that, I think it'll help you make decisions on future decks that you build, and you know decks that you invest time and money into to know if hey, is this really worth it? Like, is this really something that's going to stay around? Because it's never fun to build a commander deck, get excited, and then play it and be like, oh, this isn't really what I wanted. And I so by doing this, I think you're able to to filter out some of the 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 decks that that may not actually make 
that long-term cut by just asking yourself some of these, these kind of simple questions. Yeah. And I think this is like, it, 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 it's really useful because at least I would say for the common average magic player, most of us don't afford or play and keep 20, 30 decks, right? Yeah. There are definitely players out there that can do that. You know, a lot of people on Twitter and YouTube, they just build decks all the time because they're always doing new gameplay videos or whatever. But I'd say your average commander player can't do that. That you can, you know, a lot probably have maybe five, maybe on average, you know, maybe you don't have time to play all of them, you know? And so it's like, you really want to like think through what makes commanders like special and unique and important to you because I think that can help you narrow down and say, you know what, like if the, if this is what I go more to, maybe I don't need, you know, 15 decks. Maybe I can break apart some and play the ones I enjoy a little bit more, you know, like, and always yeah. find new stuff. But I think this helps because, you know, as we've talked, you know, who's been talking about this topic and planning for this episode. It's like, I've been going through a lot of my decks and it's like, you know what, like these two or three decks I have, to be honest, like even there's one that's even a little bit newer, but it doesn't really fit into these categories of what I really like and enjoy. Even if it hits one or two of them, it doesn't hit all three. And if it doesn't yeah. hit all three, it's like, well, you know what? Like maybe that's okay. Like maybe just, you know, let it, let it go, try something and try to build something that fits your categories. Um, and I think it'll help you. And I think it'll make your, you know, your, your games, your game nights, your decks, just more fun for you because you know that every time you pull that deck out it's exactly what you like to do in magic you know even if it's different archetypes it's doing something that you love in magic and i think that will help a lot absolutely i think there's a beautiful thing to end on it's just play what you want to play go after what you want to do and figure out what's what's right for you and you know ask yourself why decks are fun because you know we we've talked about these things and this isn't this list doesn't include oh it's all my decks do the same thing you know right. like I have I have quite a variety of decks that all play out different ways mm-hmm. but they all they all meet these criteria in different ways yep. um even though they have very diverse game plans and so yeah go out ask yourself that question come you know tweet at us tell us hey these are the things that make my forever deck. This is my forever deck. Send us your okay. list. We'd love, we'd love to hear from you. Um, because you know, like like we were establishing, we only have so much time. And it's, you know, you want to make the most of that time by playing decks that you know you care about. And this is a great way to help establish and know if you're building a new deck, brewing a new deck, if it has that staying power, or you have some sitting in a drawer that you haven't played with in a while. Maybe it's time to let those things go, like Logan said, and and be okay with that. Take those yeah. cards cherish what you had in that time but say this isn't a deck that i i see lasting a long time and that's okay um we all probably brew constantly so rather than just buying all the brews you make go through your list of what makes your forever deck compare it against all your brews and rather than buying three decks or building three new decks in three months maybe only build one save yourself a little bit of money you know and and really play what you love and play what Absolutely. is unique to you because that's what people want to do when they sit down at a game of commander is they want, you know, like what to talk about, like the identity, that self-expression, like that comes out in your commander game. So find what is you in commander and, you know, make, you know, try to find that criteria and have your forever decks be the decks you play, you know, over and over and bring you the most joy. Absolutely. 
great note to end on. Thanks everybody for joining us tonight. This was a, we had a, a really good time with this cast. Again, check out the Substack. Check out some of the articles that we have coming up weekly. There's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great stuff coming down the line as well. We've got a lot of awesome, uh, awesome topics coming. So keep an eye out for that. Like, subscribe, share with your friends, get the word out. If you're enjoying the podcast, share it with your friends that play magic, because if you like it, there's a good chance they will too. So get the word out, share, come, you know, subscribe, come join the Substack, and uh, we will see you on the next cast. <laughs>